to Mastering Retention, presented by UserWise. Hi, everyone. Uh, welcome to today's episode of the Mastering Retention Podcast. I'm Tom Heyman, co-founder of UserWise and uh, your host here. Uh, today, I am delighted to have Mladen Dulanovic uh, on with me uh, from Nordius. Um, Nordius, you guys have probably heard of with their, you know, top 11 game that I feel like has been around for forever. Uh, so hopefully on the Mastering Retention podcast, you can actually impart on us, you know, that mysterious question, how do you actually keep your players playing for, for years and years? But uh, Mladen, you know, you've been doing a lot of stuff for, for a long time. We're super excited to, to dive into that. But before we do, I always kind of like to ask guests, like, what's your story? Like, how did you end up working in games and, you know, where you are today? How did I end up in games? Simple and short answer would, would be by accident. So basically, I was working in a QA department for Nokia phones. I mean, we were testing um, Nokia softwares. If you remember that company, Nokia, it used to be a big one. And then at that time, when it used to be the, the big company, they had a department uh, here in Belgrade, which was testing uh, mobile uh, software. And I was part of that, that team doing those tests. And then they decided basically to move, actually to outsource uh, that uh, part of testing to China. So we all uh, basically lost our jobs mm, at that point. And then luckily enough, at that point, uh, Nordius was being born. Uh, literally, it was like three or four months old company or old uh, project, top 11. And I joined Nordius and gaming uh, back in 2010. So 11 years ago um, to be, to form actually the QA department to test uh, mm. top 11 basically. So before that, I didn't have any, any experience with, uh, I mean, didn't work in, with gaming. Gaming was, especially on mobile, was uh, that wasn't on mobile, that was on Facebook. Mm. But it was really, really early, early days. Yeah. And then in, in Serbia, nobody worked uh, in, in games or for games. <laughs> it was quite uh, interesting and new. And I didn't know what, what to expect. As a, as a kid, of course, I played a lot of games. I was like uh, spending a lot of time in those arcade games. Uh, uh, at arcade machines that, that those places who had uh, those things and uh, I was spending all my uh, free money uh, on those on the on the games so inherently yes I, I like games and then probably who who doesn't uh, but uh, I didn't plan to 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 end up in games and then it uh, happened by accident and then from that moment on everything basically changed. I understood how tough and challenging but interesting uh, is to have a job in, in gaming. And then also um, that the perception of gaming or working in gaming is, is not something uh, which your mother or grandmother would say, aha, great, you, you got a jo job in gaming, you're, you're doing amazing, especially in Serbia. like. Uh, people were telling me, okay, when you're going to find a regular job, like that's playing games, that's not a job. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, playing games, I'm, I'm creating games. So 
that's basically how, how I started in, in gaming. I started immediately in free to play. Uh, and then after a few years, uh, I mean, not few years, I think two, one or two years after I've joined, we released mobile platforms, Android and, and iOS. And there, I think we were one of the first uh, games which could be played fully cross-platform. So you could start on, uh, on Facebook or on web, and then you can switch your session to, to mobile phone, and then everything continues where it was. Uh, and that was, uh, at that time, was like, okay, this is a thing. And then uh, uh, the rest is a history. Ah. So do you guys still have a, a Facebook version of Top 11? So, so we have a, we call it Canvas version. So yes, it's a, it's a web version, but nowadays it's like much, much less, less popular than uh, mobile uh, versions, of course, but we still have players playing, uh, playing there. I think it's convenient for some, some of the players because the game is a football or soccer manager. So you open your laptop, you open like uh, fire up uh, your uh, browser and then you have your team, you have a good preview and then it's still still everything is, is cross-platform. So you can continue where you uh, stopped on mobile. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Yeah, I, I remember when, when Facebook games were like popular. It was kind of like the height of like when I was in college and I, I remember uh, we would you know, be in our, our lecture hall, taking notes on our laptops, but everyone just had Facebook up and we were like all playing like, you know, risk against each other or, or something else on there. And it was, it was a good time. Um, but uh, yeah, that was well before uh, <laughs> mobile games and smartphones really existed and such. Um, but yeah, I was, I was kind of curious. I was like, you know, are there still people on Facebook, like still playing games? Sounds like, there are, just maybe not as many. Yes, there are, but not, not as many. Okay. Well, um, I think maybe we just kind of start through like the the journey of games because you've kind of done it all. Um, and, and typically I, I see a lot of game teams that struggle, like either, okay, I, I've run this game successfully for a while and now I got to switch to making new games. And it, it's just a very different mindset, I feel, from, you know, live ops to rapid prototyping and making new games and vice versa. Um, so maybe let's, uh, you know, start at the beginning. Um, so for teams which is probably a lot of studios right now that are either in the trenches or are thinking about starting to make a new game, you know, is there a good approach or a recommended approach that you found to be uh, indicative of, of the, the most likelihood of success uh, to start with, like making a new game? Like what's, what sort of process have you seen work? Yeah, so uh, really, really simple question, but a really hard one. So that's like billion dollar, billion dollar question. And then a lot of studios are trying to do the same thing. So they try to launch game after game. And then, then they try to hit that jackpot of uh, having a multi-million or even billion uh, dollars uh, game. So in, in general, I don't have a right answer, obviously. And then... I believe that there is, uh, isn't a right answer. Uh, if there was an, an answer, then everybody would do it that way. 
and then everybody would have uh, great games. Uh, their like world world would be full of uh, billion dollar games, <laughs> and then uh, that's not uh, happening. That leads me to to think that basically you need to find your own formula for success, and then you need to find your your own formula for success, for success uh, considering a couple of things. The first one is uh, what you like to do. What is your passion? What is basically something that you would do uh, no matter if someone pays you to do stuff? Because if you find that one, that the, the whole process would be much, much easier for everyone uh, in the team. And then also if you find uh, common thinking uh, people like you, uh, then you will be in a much better position. That's, that, that's the first thing. The second thing is you would need to make something that market wants. So no matter if you are uh, passionate about, uh, I don't know, uh, shooters in space, uh, that's maybe something that uh, the market does not want. So you need to find an intersection of uh, these two things you are passionate about and then what uh, market wants. And the third thing, uh, again, I'm talking uh, really, really general, is that you are able to make that game. So uh, that's basically your capability of making uh, uh, such a game. So the, then if you hit the right intersection between these three things, you will have the highest chance of uh, making a success, successful game. And then it also does not guarantee you that you will do that for sure. So there is still a chance that you are going to fail. And then again, that chance is uh, high, but it's much higher if you don't follow these three, uh, the intersection of these three things. So that would be my general answer in, in, in a sense for someone who is starting with uh, making games. And then another thing would be that you uh, surround yourself with people who tried to make uh, things before. So with people who are experienced in, in, in things doing, because nowadays I believe people who are just joining joining the, the industry uh, can find a really hard, uh, can be found in a really high, hard situation where they want to make a game and then they are competing uh, with the people who are much, much experienced uh, than them. And the industry has matured in a way that now you really need to have a great game in order to, to hit big. Uh, I don't know, five to 10 years ago, you would be able to hit big even with a, with a less of a quality game, but as the industry and then audience matured, now it's uh, much more important that you are experienced and then that you already uh, did some things and learned from it. Mm -hmm. No, that makes sense. So, you know, I guess uh, I, I've heard people talk about this idea of uh, audience driven game development. Um, so, you know, as an example, um, let's say you're looking at the match three genre and I, I want to make a match three game instead of looking at the players that play Candy Crush, can I look at maybe the target audience? I'm going to say 
women uh, aged, let's say 25 to, to 50, I don't actually know what their audience is, but let's pretend that's what it is, um, that by all accounts should play Candy Crush, but doesn't. And then, you know, go out and try to talk to them to understand, like, you know, what are they seeking when they play a game? Like, why didn't they stick around and play Candy Crush? Or why haven't they tried it or whatnot? And, you know, maybe it comes out that it just seems like a meaningless waste of time. Like what's the point of progressing in the, the saga map? And then, you know, that leading to homescapes or gardenscapes where I'm playing those levels so that I can build my mansion or something. So like, you know, solving that problem in a new innovative way. Um, have you taken a similar approach where like you try to find a problem and then try to solve it in a, uh, a follow-up game or whatnot? Yeah, so so we, we are trying to do the, the, the first thing I displayed, uh, I talked about this intersection of, of, of three things. That's, that's the one thing. And then the, se the second one is a good balance between strategy you have and then uh, things you made and validate, validate your, your strategy. Let me, let me try to, to explain that. So basically, uh, when you think, uh, okay, what my game should be, and then it's an intersection of uh, these, these three things, you will get to some idea. And then uh, your, your uh, job is to actually validate that idea with the audience and try to validate it in different ways. So the ultimate way of uh, validating the thing is like you build the whole thing and then uh, you release it and then see if it floats. And that's the most expensive, obviously, way of validating. So you, are, you should be able to find something less, less expensive but then less accurate as well. Uh, so along, along the way of building, so you can validate things as you build. And then if you see there are some problems, you, you will be able to pivot and then you will save your time and money uh, in order to, to make, uh, make that game. So basically that's the, that, that's the uh, idea of balancing between uh, practice and, and, and strategy. So for sure, you need to have a strategy. That means you understand your audience. That uh, means you understand what needs you're going to target and then how you're going to satisfy the audience and what are the activities you are doing uh, internally to satisfy the, that audience. So strategy is consisted, of, again, of two parts. The, the, the demand and supply part, I say, I, I, I call it like that. So the demand part is target audience. So that's basically, okay, you understand them, you understand what they like in the games, so what they are missing in games, or uh, mm. is there anything that is really painful for them, uh, which you can address. That's the, the demand side of strategy. And then supply star, uh, side of strategy is actually how you uh, use those insights to organize yourself around, uh, around the process of making games. So... It, it, uh, and that's they both of them are, are are really important because otherwise you would be addressing uh, different needs with the same thing uh, internally. And then this supply thing, uh, this supply thing is uh, internal thing, which is like okay, how do you make your development work? How uh, quick you are able to test some ideas? How uh, how fast you are going to make this game? How important is uh, marketing in this game? And then all the all the way of uh, creating value on your side to to mm, satisfy the needs on the on the 
uh, audience side. And that's, that's, that's the strategy thing. And that's uh, uh, theoretical work, work, I would say. So you get into the intersection and then say, okay, this is my strategy. These are the, the needs of, of players. I would address them in this way. I will organize myself uh, like this. We will, we will first cre create prototypes. I don't know, seven prototypes, and then we will uh, turn them out and then see what, what people say. That's, that's the, the theoretical part. And then uh, practical part uh, of that balance is basically when you start doing it, uh, how you are able to change and pivot uh, towards the new information you get. Because all the all the games you see you see you see there. I don't know. We we use the example of uh, of Scapes games uh, as a evolution of um, let's say Candy Candy Crush and Match Match Three games. Uh, those are things that had a, a good strategy, but then along the way of, of, of executing they, that strategy, they pivoted. They were adjusting their uh, competitive advantages uh, regarding the data they've got uh, from, uh, from testing those things. So uh, that means that from one, one, one uh, hand, you need to have a strong strategy, which makes sense. And then you are believe, like everybody in the team believes uh, on that. On the other side, when you go executing strategy, you need to be uh, super uh, understandable of of what needs to be changed in order to 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 get to the to the result, and then in order to change that strategy, because uh, strategies do, do does not uh, do not exist in isolation. They are like uh, really connected with the with the execution and the, the whole product. So therefore, they need to reflect what is going on and what's the feedback. Uh, they're receiving. So I don't know if I answered answered your question. This was like more uh, high level and uh, philosophical, but that's how I how I look uh, into into game making process. Yeah. So so let me see if I can kind of repeat some of what you said and and see if I actually have my head wrapped around it. So it, it's like a three pronged approach. The first one is kind of that audience driven game development, where you know if I want to make a soccer game. I need to go talk to a bunch of like fanatic fans of soccer and understand what games they're playing, what they like about those games, what's maybe like missing in their lives or, or something like that um, to try to find some sort of problem. Then I move into prong two, which is practical, um, where I, you know, create maybe seven, 10 different prototypes where I attempt to solve this problem with the game. Uh, probably a soccer game in this case. And then I move on to prong three where, uh, you know, I basically soft launch those games or play test them or something. And I, you know, try to ask my players some questions, look at the data and then figure out what I can learn and then go back and kind of apply that to making another, maybe seven or 10 prototypes unless one shows, you know, like a huge amount of pro uh, progress kind of a thing. Is, is that kind yeah. of a good approach? Yeah, that's 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 the the great explanation of what what I said uh, with a small caveat, which is like you don't go into into okay, you talk to people and then form some some insights, but you don't go into uh, a limitless uh, experimentation. So you what you you don't find your answer by experimenting a lot. You find your answer, but by having the right direction and then. Trying to fine tune that direction, and then 
in the end, if, if direction is not good, then you find another direction. So uh, that's the that balance between uh, theory and practice. So in theory, you have to have a strong direction. So you are not mm, drawn into experimenting a lot around the various things because you can experiment everything and then forever. Uh, and then that's the, 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 the nature of, of thing is like when you're unsure, you want to try it out to experiment, but then theory keeps you on track. What is your direction? So you don't experiment out outside of your direction because uh, that will drag everything uh, for so long. And then uh, the step three is like ex execution and then feedback loop, fast feedback loop uh, towards your strategy. Yeah, I like that a lot. Um, so maybe focusing in on that practical phase, uh, because I've, I've talked to some studios that, you know, okay, we, we made a prototype, we soft launched it, we got some players in and, and they, you know, seem to be a little bit unsure of how do I actually learn from, from what I've launched? Like, what are the appropriate ways to understand those players? And, you know, maybe as an example, I launched a game, <clears throat> I had this target in my mind of, you know, 40% D1 retention. Um, and I'm at 30%. Um, and I'm trying to figure out, well, is that good enough? Because I still have all these features and things that I haven't built out, but it would take another like six months of development. And if I spend six months building out all these things and nothing improves or like they're the wrong features or whatnot, like that's a bunch of wasted time. And for startups that don't have a lot of runway, that could ultimately kill the company versus working on prototype two and having another shot on the goal. Um, so, you know, when I'm in that phase and I have kind of launched the game, like what are some techniques that you found to be the best way to learn as much as effectively as possible? Cool. I will answer this, this question in two ways. One is practical and one is philosophical. Uh, so I like the, it. <laughs> the, one, the practical one would be, so before you launch, uh, you set your goals and it's really important that you do it be, before the launch but because when launch happens uh, things start to be a bit uh, messy and then you uh, forget what uh, you were aiming at and then you focus on uh, measuring improving and, and whatnot so before the launch you set your goals you you say okay if this is not uh, bigger than 32 percent day one we are going to pivot and you write that down. You can also organize a betting. That's what, what I do usually with my team. So when we launch something for the first time, we, we bet what day one retention is going to be. And then there is a price for, um, for the, the one who comes the closest to the, to the real number. And then you have a, a so, so to speak, hard, uh, uh, hard, um, stop or, or uh, hard thing you can compare against. And then afterwards, if you are below that, that means you're going to kill uh, the game or to pivot. So that's one practical uh, practical answer, but philosophical answer, which I like more uh, <laughs> as, you, as you could notice, uh, is that you basically don't go with just prototypes and uh, wishing for day one to, to to go above 40 or, or whatnot. So you get to, with this theoretical uh, 
uh, understanding of the direction you are taking. That means that you really understand what is the what is the important part of, of that game, and then if you build that uh, important part and to which extent, and what 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 would be the feedback. So once you understand that, you can go into into building uh, building building the game and then testing it out because you will be much more sure that that thing you built it's what uh, what represents the direction otherwise you will always think ah but if i added this would it be better if i added uh, another thing would it be better so in my experience and then i experienced that a few times is that basically you had to you have to do a much better preparation job or my much better homework before you start uh, working on a game even so before you write a line of code so you need to understand the the whole game uh, or at least like as much as as you can and it does not matter that that uh, will that be the final game that does not matter the, it, what it matters is like you have the whole game you understand the whole experience and then all the uh, things you said there make sense. So they are uh, some kind of uh, uh, able to validate, you are able to validate that with, the, with uh, the audience. That won't be accurate, of course, but they can provide you some, some kind of feedback. So I'm talking about a concepting phase. So something like you have uh, images on paper or just text on paper or just some pitch or, or, or uh, elevator pitch or something like that. So uh, from there you go into, again, uh, you don't go into, into code yet, you go into uh, understanding what the, goal, what the whole game is. Why is mm. that important? Because when you start building it, you will get to 30% day one retention, and then you will be wondering, okay, is my game this or maybe something else, or maybe uh, what's my next, uh, next step? And then you will be dissipating your energy uh, towards many, many, many experiments, which does not maybe make sense uh, in theory. So that's why, why it's really important that you understand the, the, the whole game, even though once you go on, on a battlefield, uh, the results may, may tell you, okay, change something, but uh, understanding everything at the beginning gives you a clear path where you go, if everything went, goes, uh, goes well. And then it also gives you an opportunity to see, okay, this is, the core of the game. This is the first uh, alpha or first release or, or whatever. And then by understanding that you will not ask yourself, okay, should I, should I add another feature or should I add another 70 features uh, in order to improve uh, day one? So I, I like that a lot. Um, let's pretend that I have set a goal of, you know, if it's less than 30% day one retention, I'm going to pivot and I hit like 29% and I, I need to pivot. Um, do you have any like tips or, you know, anything related to how you go about pivoting or like what you would figure out in the game is the problem point that, you know, you need to try to, to fix or to solve. Um, is it about, you know, looking through that early, you know, FTUE data to identify like, drop-offs or, or some core way, you know, do you use user surveys? Do you try to collect emails and have follow-up calls, you know, people that churned out or, you know, 
how do you figure out like <laughs> where you should pivot? Yeah. So basically you figure it out by uh, setting new hypothesis. So you had some hypothesis and then this whole theory was about that hypothesis, which said, okay, if we make a, a soccer game with the dinosaurs, uh, people will love that uh, a lot. And then we've released soccer game with the dinosaurs and then it had 29 percent day one retention that obviously is not good and then we said 30 30 is our uh, lower limit that means we need to pivot it's a hard decision and then it's it's never never easy to to pivot but uh, if you did your your homework and then set uh, things and set up the stage for possible pivoting if it's uh, less than than 30 then it would be easier for the teams to accept it because they also agreed on on uh, on that thing so now when, when you validated your hypothesis of a soccer game with the dinosaurs, you are able to go with the, with the reasons why a soccer game with the dinosaurs is, is uh, not, uh, not a good direction. And there you use different, different methodologies. So day, 20, uh, day one, uh, 29% is just one number, which does not tell you much then this is not going to work but what tells you is uh, more of a qualitative analysis so you go to those, those people uh, i mean uh, we usually what what we usually tend to do is we have uh, implemented a system with the surveys so you can uh, run a survey in, in a game and then uh, people can uh, fill in we also organize um, focus groups uh, we talk to people uh, call them or write them uh, emails and that's uh, how you basically understand what why that hypothesis failed so you don't learn much if you just say okay we failed and then okay let's go to the next thing and then let's fail again so that's the stupid way of, of uh, failing so if you want to learn something for failure you need to understand what uh, basically happened there and then by talking to to, to people running service you understand that uh, I don't know what what would be, but let's say that uh, the audience does not like uh, uh, dinosaurs; they like uh, more lizards. So they here you get an idea of one hypothesis that that maybe could uh, be the next one. So from those things you understand what what was wrong, and then again, uh, having those insights will help help you for, form next hypothesis, and then you will learn. You will learn now. Okay, uh, I should never uh, create soccer game with uh, with dinosaurs, and I didn't learn that. So, so, so to be to be uh, clear, I don't know uh, the answer. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, in this uh, um, fictional example, uh, you learn that, and then now you can you can move uh, move on, and that that learning stays forever within within your team or, or company, and then you probably won't uh, try something else or you will have that as a learning which may may change of course because uh, uh, people change industry changes changes so um, that would be it do you have any like recommendations around surveys because i i know a lot of people in the industry like cringe when they hear the idea of like people just sharing their you know information <laughs> via a survey um 
you know, on, on the one hand, like I could have like open-ended questions in the surveys where users can write something in and some of them will probably just, you know, have garbage stuff because they're trying to get through it quick. Um, others might provide more valuable answers, but it's also kind of hard to like sift through and look through all those survey data um, versus maybe like a cleaner uh, single or multi-select question where I kind of have the topics in there, but I also might miss things because, you know, <laughs> I if I have to choose A, B, C, or D, um, but really the problem is E and I have no spot to actually share that, you know, like what, what's your general experience? So uh, general experience is like, as, as you said, so people uh, don't like uh, filling in service. That's that's the thing. So we try to, to make as valuable for us uh, and as uh, non-bothering for, for users. So we, we try to use scales. That's the, the, the easiest, uh, easiest way for them. And then we also have open questions. And then some of the, of, of the people uh, fill in really uh, things which make sense, uh, which is good. On, on top of that, we um, use uh, services where they go to your, your game, at least uh, tutorial or first a couple of hours of, of gameplay, and then they um, you get a recording of, of uh, their video screen capture and, and, and their voice. So you can also get things from, from there. But in general, you if you made that game and then you are passionate about that game and, uh, and, and what I was telling about those intersection of three things, you would be able to uh, understand what's what's the problem uh, quite easy because it's like kinda uh, kinda you 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 are uh, making that game for yourself uh, or at least you pretend that you're making your game uh, for yourself by understanding the the the, the ones you are you're making uh, the game for. So I have never. Uh, I failed, uh, failed in a lot of, of tests, but I have never get to a situation where I didn't understand uh, why why I failed. That's that's why I think that's uh, that was really valuable and, and and on the other hand interesting. So uh, I believe that uh, it's not that hard to to understand why why something failed if you just dig deeper. Yeah, I like that a lot. Okay, well let's pretend now we've. We found a game that is showing potential. Um, what steps or are things do I need to do to actually get ready for a game to actually hit global launch? Uh, if you are on the path, like where, where everything goes smoothly and then you're like just setting goals and then uh, fulfilling them, which I don't know if anyone is able to, to, to do, <laughs> but uh, that's, that's, that's a fair uh, imagination. You just need to, I mean, you are in like, then you have sweet problems. Uh, I, call, I call them like that. Okay, yes, you need to, to, to work, but you at least know that there is something uh, going to happen with, with this game, like um, going to full launch. So basically, uh, I consider, consider soft launch uh, similar to full launch in, in terms of how prepared you are from the game uh, standpoint. And then uh, you use that soft launch period to, to fine tune things, uh, maybe on a, on a bigger scale to understand how, how the audience behaves when you have uh, 
more more and more users and probably a couple of, of territories so uh, you should be able to in soft launch to understand that your full launch is going to be successful so that's the that's the basically goal of goal of soft, soft launch and then uh, you you prepare and then you probably started preparing uh, uh, most of the other things um, not directly uh, involved with the game team, which is like uh, you need to understand how you message your game, you need to uh, create uh, good uh, uh, artwork for stores, for promotions, uh, you probably need to start talking with, um, with stores, partners, someone who is going to to promote you, you already have tested your user acquisition for sure because that's easy to do even in, at the beginning of the, of the of the whole process of, of game making. So uh, I believe that uh, then it's like just executing on, on top of uh, your your good game. Of course, uh, it can uh, be better. I mean, uh, you can make uh, better execution or or or, or less uh, or less good. But uh, in general, once you are confident in your in your uh, soft launch numbers, that you basically uh, are managing to return uh, more money than you are spending on on the acquisition, uh, then you need to execute on the marketing marketing uh, strategy and then go to market plan and then full launch the game. So, like years ago that full launch was more of a thing, I would say, because the uh, supports from stores were much bigger, not, not much bigger, but that had much better or higher impact on the games. And nowadays, uh, user acquisition took um, basically the, the primate in uh, how you scale games, how you, how you grow. So that basically means that you are uh, in more control. Uh, on the other hand, it, it means that uh, you need to spend more money. Uh, that's also thing. But in general, once you are ready for 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 full launch, you you are you should be one hundred percent sure that you are returning money. You are going to spend uh, for for that occasion. And then yes. there are different strategies for 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 full <laughs> launch in the game. Someone likes to 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 launch slowly and to ramp up uh, downloads and acquisition slowly some of them want to want to do a big bang uh, full launch so now that's like uh, i think uh, preferences and then probably uh, uh, how people do things in in their companies but i saw both both of them working so yeah do you think it's important to test your uh let's say content treadmill before doing a global launch, like have a live ops system in place, like do live ops for a few weeks or months and make sure that like you can build your schedule and hit that schedule and, and kind of maintain that. Yes, definitely. As I said, so basically your full, uh, your, your soft launch should be 90% of, of, of your full launch. You, you shouldn't go into soft launch with, uh, we need to build the, the second half of the game uh, before we full launch it because that will prolong your soft launch and that will not uh, help you. So basically, the, the the 
part of uh, game making uh, after after the soft launch. Of course, like it's now you are going you are going into into live game and then uh, maintaining supporting live uh, opsing the game. But uh, in in general, uh, there shouldn't be a lot of difference between uh, between between soft launch and full launch in terms of. Uh, number of features readiness for for more users and, and stuff like that of course like uh, it's not 100 and then it, that that does not make sense that you have uh the whole game but uh, at least something that uh, can uh, start scaling on a uh, global territories i like that a lot cool so you know once you get into the let's say live ops phase of a game um you know, what sort of techniques have you seen for, you know, actually coming up with a, you know, a reasonable, repeatable, scalable process? Like, you know, do you have any tips and tricks around coming up with fun, interesting things to give your players to do? So what I saw working and then uh, I think it's uh, in the nature of, of, of players is like, uh, they love new stuff. So players love new stuff. So uh, on the other hand, uh, developers uh, need a lot of time and money to create new stuff. So hitting the right balance between between those two, uh, it's also uh, quite important. So uh, that also that also means that uh, actually that also depends on the game you are making. So uh, if you are making a game which is uh, more depending on the content than on the systems that you will have a, a harder job in creating content. Actually, you will need to create create more more content. And then, uh, if you are in on a system side of of, uh, of uh, let's say let's call it generating content, then it's uh, it's a bit easier because those systems can keep players engaged uh, for longer time than just um, created content. But still, you need to need need to to create content. So definitely uh, new content is something that uh, users, and then I feel people in general interested in. So uh, I was thinking about creating a game which is just new content. So it's not, uh, you, you, you don't play uh, um, core loop, but you have just, just new content. It would be like a, I don't know, uh, Zara shop, uh, so you you go like in front of Zara and they have a collection, and then next day you 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 go and then you see another collection, and then you're huh, okay maybe I'll I'll come into into the office because one part of their strategy is uh, having stores of uh, really great uh, how how they call it so uh, a lot of people going by. So you have stores in in that, in that uh, area of the cities, and the other one is like you have new collections every week, and then imagine a game with new collections every week. I mean, to a certain extent, that's what uh, games are are currently doing. Yeah, I like that a lot. Um, another thing for 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 keeping them uh, engaged uh, in a live game is uh, you have one. A really good uh, benefit of having a live game. That game already works. You have your audience. You you've uh, hit your market uh, market fit, and then basically those people are really valuable. And then you can understand them better. You can see what what uh, they are missing, or at least what they think they are missing. And then 
you can offer them something uh, to consume and and that's uh, that's the biggest difference i would say between live and then uh, then game in development because you already have an audience you already went uh, over that uh, line where you hit your market fit and there you should be using that because uh, your audience is probably loyal to you uh, they care about your game they play it uh, every day so they uh, understand how they feel and then then they understand how they can what can be improved that's a really really valuable uh, learning uh, which everyone should uh, take advantage of use your audience yeah so key i love it um okay one more question before our unofficial question um you know what sort of tools or infrastructure uh does your you know does a studio need in place to be able to kind of operate in this fashion uh to be able to you know rapidly deploy new content and experiences to players yeah so um, i'm not an expert in that in that uh, in that area and i also didn't use a lot of external tools so probably there there are external tools and then for smaller studios it makes sense that uh, you uh, employ someone of, of those tools not to build uh, them on their own uh, for example for us uh, we have most of our, our uh, uh, systems and deployments uh, built internally so important thing is that you are able to satisfy the business need so that's the that's the ultimate thing so if uh, external or like public available system satisfies your need then great you don't need to build uh, your internal but if your internal will give you some kind of advantage and then again we go back to that uh, strategy thing so that's like mm -hmm. your value of creating your chain of creating the value so if that's really fast uh, uh, A-B tests, or it's really fast, uh, I don't know, uh, deployments of live ops or uh, uh, live uh, configuration changes. If that's important for your creating the value, then you need to make sure that that work is adding to your competitive advantage of, of uh, I don't know, releasing too often or having uh, uh, live events every day. Uh, that that That's how you actually uh play on your strengths i like that a lot that's great and and i i like the idea of, of focusing on the business need first um it, it kind of goes back to when we talked a little bit about you know starting with the the player's problem too so you know you start with the need and then you kind of go from there so it applies to everything i guess um, cool. Well, uh, one last question, because we are on the mastering retention podcast and that's, you know, what's one tip or trick you've kind of learned over the years to increase retention? Like, how do you keep players playing for longer? Well, I'm not sure if, if, uh, I could give a practical, practical tip again. So what, uh, is something I, I noticed working is a bit theoretical, but, uh, can be applied to any game. So you basically try to segment your audience uh, into, into, into segments which are uh, not um, overlapping. And then you try to understand what those segments are uh, doing in the game. So where they spend time, what they like to do, where they want to spend their money, so on. 
and then you try to actually move people from segments to segments uh, by offering them uh, things in the game. So you see one segment who uh, the segment who play who pays that's probably the segment who plays the game the most. Mm -hmm. So you want to push uh, your player your your players into uh, paying a lot, no playing a lot or paying a bit, and then they they will go to to play a lot. So that's uh, that's one of the things. So you basically try to segment your current audience, see their behaviors, their like, uh, I mean, uh, general behaviors for, for those segments, and then uh, try to figure out either what you want to do for that that uh, segment to in increase their engagement or retention, or how to move them uh, to another segment. That's also yeah. uh, the, the, uh, both of them can be viable and then one thing can lead to both of, 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 of those things. So they can either, they can also move and then increase uh, their engagement. That's awesome. I love this. Cool. Well, Mladen, this has been uh, fantastic. If uh, folks do want to get in contact with you or have any questions, is there a, a good way for them to do that? Yes, I, I, uh, I am available on LinkedIn. You can find me uh, on LinkedIn and then feel free to add me to contact me, ask me any, any question. I would be more than happy to help where I can. This is great. Well, thank you so much for uh, coming on and, and hopefully we can have you back sometime. I feel like I still have tons and tons of questions, but uh, this, is, this is really great. So thanks again. Thank you, Tom, so much.